be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We have this message and, and one more, and then we'll, we'll move on to Psalm 120. We've spent the month of December, for the most part, we spent the month of December in this psalm and really tried to, um, number one, establish the, uh, a, a way to approach Psalm 119 that may be more in keeping with the, uh, the intention of it than just the idea that Psalm 119 is 176 verses um, that give you interesting facts about the Word of God. Psalm 119 is, is, uh, is full of windows, doorways into uh, not only observation of communion, a man who is communing with God uh, throughout various seasons of life, experiences, circumstances, so forth and so on, um, but it's also a psalm that invites you to do the same, it invites you to pause, to ponder, to think through. And we have um, taken, I don't know, six maybe, uh, six uh, little doorways in over the last month to just explore and see what does it look like for us to walk through this and to consider it um, for ourselves. And so we want to do the same thing Today, and I've, I've been saying since we've started our, our time in Psalm 119 that we were going to end up on uh, a message on meditation. And uh, so that's where we are this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be thinking about understanding, trying to get a biblical understanding of meditation and what Scripture has to say about it. On Wednesday, we're going to spend some time doing some practical how-to methods as it relates to uh, biblical meditation. So biblical meditation is really just a spiritual discipline. The same as reading Scripture, prayer, church attendance, fellowship with the saints, so forth and so on. It's a, uh, it's a spiritual discipline. But it's worth noting and it's worth um, just framing because this really is how the spiritual disciplines are meant to be framed that this spiritual discipline is meant to help you and it's meant to um, aid you as you seek to commune with the living God. So the point of Bible reading is not so that you get an A-plus in Bible reading. It's so that you get a word from the living God. The point of prayer is not so that you are the best prayer around. It's so that you're communing with the living God. And so the point of biblical meditation is not so that you have the deepest thoughts around. As a matter of fact, there are some folks who do meditate on all the wrong things and they have all the wrong deep thoughts that end up being just stupidity. Okay, So it's not deep thinking for deep thinking's sake. It's communing with the Lord. So... We want to understand what biblical meditation is, and then we want to move there uh, into some practical 
how-tos. This really is. I mean, if you if you look around in in uh, Christian literature, biblical literature, you will um, you will be hard pressed to find um, any real modern resources. There's one that I know of, the, a work that's fully devoted to biblical meditation. It's just something people do not do anymore. Is something people don't write about or think about much anymore, um, and and I think uh, whenever we maybe get into this, it might give us a, a little bit of a clue as to um, why many of our churches are in the state that they're in, and many Christians are as shallow as they are. But before we get there. Let's start with some uh, some groundwork. We need to define what we're talking about here. So, so what is meditation? What are we talking about when we're talking about biblical meditation? Well, it's been said that contrast is the mother of clarity. So as we think about this, I want to begin by just contrasting it with what maybe comes to your mind when you think about meditation, what it means to meditate. So there is a tremendous difference between what's called Eastern Transcendental Meditation. That's the kind that you think about when you hear uh, uh, the things that go along with like yoga and other Eastern mysticism kinds of, kinds of uh, exercises. Um, there's a difference between that and biblical meditation. I'll give you just the, the highlights, really the, the, the big ones that you need to know. The goal, okay, the goal, the goal of Eastern Transcendental Meditation is to empty the mind, okay? It's uh, the ultimate goal is to reach a state eventually of nirvana or nothingness to where all the passions, the affections, the desires are extinguished. On the other hand, the goal of biblical meditation is not to empty the mind, but to fill the mind, to fix the mind on something with the goal of not extinguishing the affections, but stirring up the affections and the desires and ultimately working the truth that your mind is fixed on into the heart to the extent that it begins to shape your life. So rather than emptying the mind, we're seeking to fill it. Rather than numbing the affections, we're seeking to stir them up. And all of that for the purpose of your life being shaped by what it is that you're meditating on. I don't know that I've even read our text yet, so let me read it. Psalm 119, verse 97. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. If we were to look up that word, meditation, here in verse 97, 
the Hebrew word is defined as reflection, uh, prayer, the act of thoughtful deliberation with the implication of speaking to oneself. It would also be to moan or to growl. That's kind of a strange way to think about it. But essentially, you're, you're taking a truth and you're deliberately thinking on the implications and the applications of that truth to your life. A man named William Bridge defined meditation this way. It's the intense application of the soul to something by which a man's mind ponders, dwells, and fixes on it for his own profit or benefit. Okay? The application or the applying of the soul to something by which a man's mind ponders, dwells, fixes on that thing for his own profit or benefit. Now, we're going to get to this probably a few times as we go through here, but, but I want to make sure to emphasize this, that meditation is meant to be and it is meant to lead to Practical application. If you've ever heard the, the phrase that somebody is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good, well, they're not doing biblical meditation. Okay? Biblical meditation is not meant to just give you lofty thoughts. It's meant to make you more Christ-like. It's meant to take a truth, personalize it as you consider and reflect Number one, on the truth of whatever it is. And then number two, where you are in relation to that. And number three, what it would mean for you to implement it. And we'll get more practical probably on Wednesday. But let me give you three word pictures for meditation. Three word pictures for meditation. And, and these three, I think, will, will highlight the practical nature of it. So... A, uh, an old Puritan pastor named Thomas Watson illustrates the difference between the knowledge of a truth and the meditation of a truth by comparing the light that comes from a torch, or we could say the light that comes from a flashlight if you wanted to, and the light that comes from the sun. So this is what he says. He says, knowledge is like a torch lighted in the understanding which has little or no influence. It makes not a man the better. But meditation is like the shining of the sun. It operates upon the affections. It warms the heart and makes it more holy. And then I really like this one. Meditation fetches life in a truth. Meditation fetches life in a truth. 
So it's, it's, it's the difference and the benefit of the light that you get from the sun, which gives life and growth and so forth and so on, and, and then just a light, a torch that does none of those things. So knowledge and meditation are not the same. Okay, secondly, let's look in Matthew 13. This is a, this is a more biblical illustration here. Matthew 13. And you know this chapter, uh, many of you do. It's the, uh, the chapter of the sower, where Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And the sower is sowing seed, and the seed falls on uh, four different kinds of grounds, and only one of those is fruitful. And then he goes to explain what he's talking about when his disciples come and ask him. So starting in, in verse 18... Matthew chapter 13, verse 18 says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So in the parable here, Jesus is giving the illustration of a sower who sows seed. It falls on different kinds of ground. Jesus goes on to say these different grounds represent the different kinds of hearts that the seed or the Word of God falls on, and then that in turn is, um, indicates the outcome. So I want to I build an illustration on Jesus' illustration here. I think it fits here, and um, I think it's, uh, it's helpful. If you think about your heart as, as a garden, as Jesus is kind of laying it out here, Every time you read or hear the word preached, I want you to think about how many times a year you read your Bible. For many of you, it's a lot. For many of you, you're going to read your Bible 300 plus times this year, or you did last year. And for many of you, you're going to hear 100 plus sermons Every time you hear the word preached or every time you read it, it's like a load of fertilizer being dumped on 
your heart. The garden, your heart's the garden. The fertilizer's dumped on the soil. Well, in order for that fertilizer to be beneficial, it has to be spread and worked into the heart, right? Spread and worked into the soil. And that's really what meditating on the Word and meditating on the sermon is. Um, me or whoever else stands up here for 30, 45 minutes, an hour, depending on what the service is, as it were, we are dumping the Word onto your heart. Now you have to go home and take the time to spread it, to think about it, to work it into your own life. And when you don't, then what could have been profitable and what could have been helpful either has no effect at all or has the opposite of the intended effect. You know what happens, don't you, whenever you take fertilizer? I'm not much of a gardener, but um, Abby uh, takes care of that, and, and I've seen how these things work. You pile up a load of fertilizer, and if you just let the mound sit there long enough, you know what happens to everything under it? Yeah, it dies. It dies. You, you don't have this big fruitful mound of fertilizer. But what happens if you take that same pile and you spread it and you work it into the ground, then it becomes very, very fruitful. You see, it's what you do with it. It's how you use it. It's if you use it. I think I've told you this story before, but my only real uh, experience and season of ever being motivated to do anything with a garden happened a couple of years after Abby and I got married. And uh, Brother Claude wanted to know if we wanted a garden. And I said, sure. Well, his idea of a garden and what I had in mind for a garden were two different things. Uh, before I knew it, he had tilled up an enormous, in my mind, an enormous spot that I did not bargain for. And... Uh, and during that same season, Abby was finishing up school and was in Starkville a lot. And, uh, and it didn't help anything that we lived two doors down from Brother Claude, Sister Darlene. So he had a front row seat to what I was doing with that garden that he had tilled up. And uh, so um, the wheat would go and the, the weeds would grow and all those... Uh, Things that happen, you know, to a garden that could be flourishing if you took care of it, but you're not. And uh, it was only when I thought Brother Claude might be coming to check on that garden that I would actually go out there and give a half-hearted effort to, you know, clean some things up. Uh, anybody want to guess how productive that thing was? Yeah, not very. Uh, was it because of the seed? Was it because of the, what was, it was because I didn't do anything with it. Okay, And so much of the time we can we can do with our Bible reading, we can do with sermons what I did with that garden. We could just let it be dormant, completely unproductive, 
And it's simply because we didn't do anything with what was there. So notice how, notice how the, the, the parable comes at this. And you can take the fertilizer example if you want to, or, or just take the ground for what it is if you want to. But when we fail to meditate, that is, work that seed, work that word, Spread it into our hearts. Number one, out of verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Um, When we fail to meditate we will lack understanding. You know, there are some things you just have to work at to understand. And you've heard me say this before. I've, I got this from J. Vernon McGee, and I think he was exactly right. He said, he said you know, there are, it's, 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 it's funny or maybe ironic, whatever word you want to use, how people tend to approach the Bible as far as understanding Scripture in a way that they approach no other book. When's the last time you heard about someone having a calculus devotion by sitting around the kitchen table for 10 minutes while one person read and everybody else listened and then they went on their merry way? When's the last time you heard anybody learning about A&P or whatever chemistry or whatever some of those other math period, I mean basic math if you're talking about me, uh, but sitting around the table for 10 minutes a day Hoping to master that. That's not what happens. Understanding, particularly in, in some subjects and in, in deeper subjects, come as you pour time and attention into a particular topic, into a particular subject. Well, here's something that's just a common sense um, a common sense statement, but it's worth saying, you will never benefit from what you don't understand. I'm convinced one of the reasons why people, um, I'm, I'm convinced one of the reasons why people aren't consistent with Scripture reading is because they try to take too much at one time, they're not understanding what they're reading, and eventually they just throw in the, you know, throw in the flag and they're done. Meditation will help bring understanding. Secondly, you get in verses 20 and 21. He that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receive it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but endures for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Well, whenever we think about what it means to be strengthened in the inner man, when we think about that from a biblical standpoint, we're talking about something that the Holy Spirit does through the Word. And what Jesus says here, 
is then the, when the word falls on that shallow ground, the shallow grasping of it, that one of the consequences of a lack of biblical meditation, you could call it what you want as far as getting the word into you, is that we will not endure under the pressures of life. You've met people like that. They're up when things are up. They're down when things are down. There's no stability in their life. When the pressures hit, they're done. They're gone. Or verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the cares or the anxieties of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. What is he saying? Well, all of this really has, a, has to do with a lack of, of, of true understanding, but what he's saying is we aren't rooted and grounded in the word. If we aren't meditating, working the word, spreading the word, fertilizer of the word into our hearts, then what will end up happening is we will begin to seek refuge in the pleasures and treasures of the world. Here's the reality about all of us at any given time. It's so easy to become blinded to the areas of our lives where we are needy and greedy. That's what he's referring to here. And when the word falls upon the thorny ground, then what happens is that eventually our heart will begin to prioritize what we think we need or what we want in the greed sense. That's, that's called worship, by the way. Our hearts long for it and our hearts will eventually pursue that over and above God. That's, that's idolatry. You see, a lack of meditation will leave you in a place to where you say amen to the very sermon you have absolutely zero intentions to following up on. To where you will publicly praise the Lord for the same word that you intend on ignoring as soon as you walk out of the building. But the seed that fell on good ground... Number one, it fell on a heart that understood. That doesn't mean it was a heart that said, oh yeah, 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 I believe that too. But the word understanding there means a heart that considered. It's a heart that had comprehension. It's a heart that thought through the implications and put together the applications of what that truth was. We're in verse 23 now. He that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. And if you look up that word understand, then you will get, uh, just in Strong's, a basic concordance, you'll, you'll get all of these aspects of it from the sense of considering, comprehending, 
thinking through the implications and putting together the applications of Scripture. That really is what meditation does. So illustration number one, we said it's a difference between a torch and the sun. One brings benefit, one does not. Secondly, it's like receiving a load of fertilizer and then having to do something with it. Either you let it sit piled up and it does nothing, or you spread it and you work it into the ground. Now, the third illustration, and you've heard this one before, comes out of Psalm 23. Psalm 23. He says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I have need of nothing. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. So if the Lord is my shepherd, then David is thinking of himself as a sheep. And there's only one reason why a sheep would lie down. And it's not because he's eating. It's because it is full and he is chewing the cud. Okay? Chewing the cud. Now, um, the illustration here might be kind of gross, but since lunch is canceled, you'll have a drive to gain your appetite back if this makes you, uh, if this grosses you out. But what that means is the, the animal will chew the grass, and, and then that grass will go into kind of a little reservoir tank, as it were. And he will vomit that back up and chew it some more until he gets more nutrient. And then it'll go back, and then it'll happen again. And he'll chew the same meal again and again and again and again until he gets everything out of it. Now, I want you to think about how that relates to biblical meditation. He's lying down in green pastures being led beside the still waters here. It's a picture of chewing the cud of the Word or meditating on the Word. That is rolling it around again and again and again and again. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, that's just, that's just ripe for chewing on. Someone said, well, I know what that means. I look up all the words and yeah, it's, it's just right there. No, no. We're not talking about a, just the, the, the wooden literal understanding of what the words mean. How has the Lord shepherded you in your life? How have you seen His faithfulness? How has He gone ahead and provided for you in ways that you didn't even know you needed providing for? And then how does that affect the way that you relate to Him and trust Him in the present? You see, the 
the, the chewing on Scripture or the meditating on Scripture, really what it boils down to is just learning how to ask good questions when you're thinking through either a truth or a passage of Scripture. It's being disciplined enough to sit still and we'll look at some synonyms next and to roll a truth over in your mind again and again and again. And there are some sections of Scripture that are just simply meant to be meditated on. So the Proverbs, for example, um, the, the overwhelming majority of the benefit that comes from the book of Proverbs is by you taking a little pithy truth, meditating on that truth, and working out the implications and applications in your own life. We could say the same thing about the book of Psalms. So let's think about some synonyms um, for meditation. Synonyms for meditation. Number one is uh, consider. The word consider. That's, that's New Testament, Old Testament. But Psalm 119, verse 95 he says, the wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. Okay, the word consider there, it just means to diligently look into. Hey, I will diligently look into this. I will apply myself to this. Psalm 119 verse 18 he says, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Behold, it's to gaze on something. It's really to fix your eyes on something. It's not a quick look. It's not a glance. This is synonymous with meditation. Or Psalm 119 Verse 52, I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord. I have comforted myself. I remembered. It just means to think on. In Psalm 143, verse 5, And as always, as we're going through these, and there's a lot to jot down, if you want the notes, all you have to do is ask and I'll send them to you. 143, verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy words. I muse on the work of thy hands. To muse just means to ponder or to converse with oneself. About this, we're just thinking about words here. We'll get to phrases in a second. One of the more familiar ones, whether you think about it this way or not, is in the Psalms, the, the little word Selah that comes at the end of so many phrases. And as we've gone through the Psalms, we've made it a point to, to stop there and remind you that what he's saying is pause and ponder or meditate, right? So look in Psalm 3. 
I'll, I'll probably remind you of this on Wednesday if you're here for the practical how-tos on meditation. But if, if you're trying to think through, well, where would I even start on this? How do I know um, what to, to meditate on? What would even be profitable to meditate on? Well, if you find Selah in the Psalms and you see what preceded it, that's a pretty good place to start. So, for example, Psalm 3, verse 2, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Pause and ponder. Say, well, wait a second, that's a weird thing to meditate on. Pause and ponder. Well, what is he doing here? If you look at the psalm as a whole, as he's praying and he's speaking to God about how his troubles have increased and those who are uh, uh, trying to trouble him are, are increased and they've risen up against him. He's, he's, he's meditating on his own circumstance, which, by the way, is, is biblical. But then he goes on. He's not finished. He doesn't just stay there. Um, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and He heard me out of His holy hill. Selah. You ever cried out to the Lord, and He heard you, and He answered you? There's a place to park it for a little bit. To just pause and ponder. Um, The verse, as it were, is that load of fertilizer that gets dumped into the ground of your heart. Now you get to pause and ponder and kind of spread it and work it into the soil. What's the benefit of that? Well, encouraging yourself in the Lord. Possibly rejoicing in what God's done for you. Confidence in building trust in the Lord. Endurance, so forth, so on. Or what about this out of verse 8? Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Pause and ponder. Okay, so that's, that's just an example. Um, Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. And so a stayed or a fixed mind synonymous with meditation. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 2, the encouragement is to lay these things to heart. Okay, lay some things on your heart. Uh, and then the last two I'll mention. In Luke chapter 2, in verses 19 and in verse 51, um, when things were happening surrounding Christ and His birth or as an infant. It says in verse 19 that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Um, In verse 51, it says that she kept these things in her heart. That is, she was meditating on these things. She was rolling these things around in her heart and in her mind. Well, a couple of, a couple of things to, to consider about meditation. 
Number one, and uh, Brother Daniel Gooch mentioned this last week as he was talking about meditation as we were closing out the service. Whether you know it or not, whether you recognize it or not, everyone meditates on something. You're meditating on something on a daily basis. That's, it's not if you meditate, it's when you meditate. In Psalm 19, verse 14, David prays, let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. You see, we're thinking people. Uh, our minds are going to be fixed on something. And you know how this works. I mean, we are, we are so easily attracted and distracted and consumed with whatever it is that catches our attention at the time. This has been years ago, but maybe you'll remember this. And if not, then it'll be a fresh uh, illustration. But I can remember, I can't, it's, it's been years ago. I, uh, I needed to get a new razor. And so I went to Walmart and, uh, they had even fewer than they have now, but the, 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 the choices were still, you know, there were a lot. I could get the two blade. I could get the three blade. I could get the three blade with a little comfort strip on it. Um, maybe they even had a four blade. I don't know, but they had, I mean, you know, choices. And I sat there for about 10 minutes looking at all those razors, trying to think through which one would be the best. Which one of these things do I need? And, and, and if I were to try to walk you through the details of my thought process, I don't know what it was except for eventually I finally came to and, and recognized I shave two days a week. It takes me about 30 seconds. It's just this. I don't know what kind of experience I thought I was getting ready to have with that razor, but I was meditating. I was consumed with which one do I need until I eventually just grabbed one and <laughs> grabbed one and went. Now, that is meant to be silly. It is meant to be funny, but it's also meant to illustrate a point. You've meditated on razors before. Um, when you've had vehicle trouble, you've meditated on that before. When you've had anxiety, you've been meditating on things before. When you wanted anything, whether that was a lawnmower, whether that was a new brand of makeup, whether that was a cute pair of shoes that you and one other person was going to notice when you wore them, whatever it was, we meditate on things that we think are important at the time. Um, Matthew 6 is helpful here. It's helpful just to, just to reinforce where this all takes place. Matthew chapter 6. So we're thinking about this in light of Psalm 19, 14. Let the meditation of my heart. Okay? Meditation is a function of the mind and, a, and, and the mind is a, is, a, um, is a chamber of the heart as we think about it biblically speaking. The inner man. 
Matthew 6, 19 through 21, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moss, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we meditate on the things that we treasure, the things that we store up in our hearts, the things that we ponder, whether that be good or bad. Now, look at how the psalmist thinks about this in Psalm 119. Um, In Psalm 119, Verse 113, he says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Or back up a little bit to verse 36. um, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from beholding. It's synonymous with meditating. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in the way. Vanity, vain things. What are we talking about? We're talking about emptiness or really we're talking about lies, deceptions, useless thoughts. Those are just the literal definitions there of the word. Incline uh, my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. You know, the question really is not do you covet, it's what do you covet? Um, pause and ponder on that. Not right now, but later. But when the psalmist thinks about it, the psalmist says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. And I think this is a parallel. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity. Lies. You realize whenever we're coveting something in our heart, we're, we're lying to ourselves. We're thinking about how great life is going to be when we finally get that thing that we don't have. And we're willfully ignoring the fact that every other time we got that thing that we didn't have, we wanted something else that we didn't have. And it wasn't long that we forgot about that thing that we wanted so bad that we didn't have. (coughs) Vanity, deception, lies, useless things. says, Lord, turn away my eyes from meditating on those kinds of things. Beholding those kinds of things. Believing those kinds of lies. Now, it's worth considering this, and it's helpful. It's worth considering, we're talking about meditation. We said one of the synonyms is is to muse. Musing. Well, you know, the opposite of meditating or musing on something is to be amused by something. To muse is to think. You put an A in front of it and it means it's opposite. Amuse 
is to just shut your mind off, is to not think. It's, it's, it's to, to, to just allow your mind to be passive. Now, I want you to think about how many hours in the day you spend amusing yourself. Now, amusement's not bad in and of itself. It's like anything else. Amusement can have its place, but it can very quickly turn into destructive idolatry. You see, there's nothing wrong with smartphones. There's nothing wrong with TVs. There's nothing wrong with earbuds. Unless you spend your entire life plugged into those things. Two thousand five, a guy named Neil Postman wrote a book, not even from a Christian or biblical point of view. And the title of it was it was a it was a it was his commentary on the American culture. And the title of the book is Amusing Ourselves to Death. Amusing ourselves to death. Well, it's it's easy. And and if we're honest, it's even pleasurable to be able to just zone out, not think, put our minds on autopilot. And there's nothing wrong with a little bit of that. But anyone who is serious about growing in Christ's likeness is interested in the renewal of their mind, which means you've got to get it out of neutral at some point. So, everyone meditates on something. The question is what? Now here's a few as we wrap up. A few bullet points here. As it relates to Scripture meditation, again, we're thinking about this as it relates to communing with the living God. Uh, number one, it is, it's commanded. It's not suggested. It's not a... It's not a good encouraged practice if you get around to it. It's uh, it's a commanded. It's you remember in Joshua chapter one verse eight when the Lord commands Joshua to meditate day and night. If you jump over in the New Testament in First Timothy chapter four. 1 Timothy chapter four. Verses 14 through 16, he says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, you may say, well, that's Timothy. He was a pastor. And that's true. But the pastor is called to be an example to the people. So there aren't any um, commands like this that apply to Timothy that don't apply to the rest of us. Meditate. Take heed. Continue in. Uh, 
The other reality is Scripture meditation comes with a promise. Scripture meditation comes with a promise. Psalm 1, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law does He meditate day and night. And He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. Biblical meditation, Scripture meditation, comes with this promise that the man or the woman who is meditating The word day and night just means regularly. You're doing more during the day than just meditating on Scripture, but it's something that you are doing regularly. And the promise is that you will be fruitful and that the Lord will bless you to prosper. And we're not talking about a health, wealth, and prosperity kind of a thing. We're talking about the Lord blessing your life, your growth, and so forth. Scripture meditation comes with a promise. And then last, Scripture meditation ends in personal application or we would say transformation. Scripture meditation ends in personal application or transformation. So back in Psalm 119, some of these I'm just going to uh, rapid fire, but some I'll turn to. Psalm 119, verse 59. He says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. See, Scripture meditation will lead to repentance, faith, and obedience. It will, it will get you headed in the right direction. It'll do all those things that 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 17 say it will do. Scripture meditation in verse 15 will produce respect for God's ways. Verse 16, it'll produce delight in God's Word. Verse 52, it will produce comfort. Verses 99 to 100, it'll give understanding. Verse 97, it'll produce a love for God's Word. Verse 165, it will give peace to the heavy heart. And then what we just finished saying as far as it coming with a promise out of Psalm 1 verse 3, it will produce fruitfulness and prosperity. And so as we said at the outset, on Wednesday night, we're going to look at the how-tos, the actual practical applications of how do I sit down, what's a method, a strategy, at coming at Scripture and meditating on it. But for this morning, our goal has been just to get an understanding. What are we talking about when we're talking about biblical meditation? And so Psalm 119, verse 97, again, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. May the Lord bless these words to our hearts. Let's pray. 
Father, we, uh, we do confess that um, we struggle in this area. It's an area that um, is, is often neglected, and, and when it's not, it's, uh, it's still, it's difficult. And uh, so, Father, we, we admit that. We say along with the psalmist, Oh, that my ways uh, were in line with Yours. Oh, that we were men and women given over to meditation. When You enlarge our hearts, we will run the way of Your commandments. Father, we pray You would help us as we um, seek to discipline ourselves in this area of meditation. That You would open Your Word. That You would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from Your law. That You would help us not just to consider... um, uh, your word, but also how it intersects with our life and how we might turn our feet to your testimonies. Lord, we thank you that you've spoken to us. Lord, we thank you that you've given us these many avenues of communing with you. And I pray that you would uh, shore up this area of meditation in each of our hearts and each of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.